0: Welcome to Wise Guides, a wake up in science education, a student led podcast series produced for the New York State Children's Environmental Health Center, a product of HBCAC and their Prevention is the Cure campaign. And now, here's your Wise Guides.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Wise Guides. I'm Savannah.
2: And I'm Matt.
1: And I need to wake up. Where is my coffee?
2: Do you get much sleep in college?
1: Honestly, not really, but I'm here. My eyes are open. I might not be awake, but I'm here to make sure you guys are all awake. Do You get it? Ha ha. All right. <laughs> Anyways, today we have a really special guest. We're here today with Dr. Sarah Evans from the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Welcome, Sarah, virtually, anyway.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: I'd like to start off by introducing our guest. For those who don't know Dr. Evans, here's a brief introduction. Sarah Evans is an assistant professor in the Department of Environmental Medicine and Public Health at Mount Sinai. She obtained her doctorate in neuroscience from Weill Cornell Medical College and a master's in public health from the Icahn School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. She also completed a three-year fellowship in environmental pediatrics. Her research focuses on the impacts of early life exposures to endocrine disruptors in the brain and behavior and effective strategies for reporting back biomonitoring data. With training in laboratory science, epidemiology, and public health, she translates environmental health research for the lay public, healthcare providers, and policymakers through the generation and evaluation of educational materials and programming.
1: All right. Hold on for a second. I've met and worked with Dr. Sarah Evans, which was an incredible opportunity, but this introduction is very powerful and there's a lot to unpack here. So what exactly is the Department of Environmental Medicine and Public Health?
0: Sure. So the Environmental Medicine and Public Health Department is a really unique and cross disciplinary team of scientists, medical doctors, social workers, and industrial hygienists who are all working towards a common goal of improving health through the creation of healthier environments. Um, So, on the clinical side, we have a pediatric environmental health specialty unit, which is a group of pediatricians who have very special training in environmental health, something that's not usually common in medical training. And we're also part of a New York statewide network of children's environmental health centers, which also have a similar goal of educating healthcare providers in how to recognize and treat diseases that are caused by environmental factors. And then on the research side, uh, we have a very sophisticated laboratory that's located within our Institute for Exposomics Research. And so I think it would help if I described you a little bit about what I mean when I talk about exposomics, something that not very many people have heard about. So the exposome refers to the totality of all of our environmental exposures that we experience across the lifespan. So these are chemical exposures, things that we're exposed to through the air, through our diet, but also things like exposure to stress and violence and then internal factors like our genetic makeup or our metabolism. And so at Mount Sinai, we're moving away from thinking about single environmental exposures that happen at one period of time to thinking about all of these exposures across the lifespan and how they determine whether somebody's healthy or whether they get sick.
1: So it sounds to me that your background is incredibly diverse, but it's really important to understand how all of what you do ties together. So How exactly does the environment, environmental exposures, and pediatrics overlap?
0: Well, I think it's first important to understand that every disease has some environmental component. So even if an environmental factor doesn't cause a disease, it can make a certain disease worse or even better. So we can't really think about health or disease without thinking about environment. And we've actually seen this with COVID-19. So I think COVID-19 is a really good example where we're seeing an increasing number of studies that show that exposure to air pollution is worsening COVID-19 outcomes um, and disease severity and even possibly rates of death. So in areas where there's higher air pollution, we're seeing more death from COVID-19. So we really can't take the environment out of any conversation about health and disease, even if we're talking about infectious disease. And the pediatrics part comes in because most of the research that we do shows that children are some of the most vulnerable populations when it comes to environmental exposures. So this is partly because their bodies are rapidly growing and they have immature detoxification mechanisms. So when cells are dividing and systems are developing, any kind of disturbance can have more of an impact. But then we also know that children are exposed to higher levels of many chemicals than adults are. So this is because they breathe faster than adults. So they take in more air and that air might be polluted. They also eat more and drink more pound for pound than adults do, which is a way that we are exposed to a lot of harmful chemicals. And then they're closer to the ground where chemicals tend to settle, and they may normally put their their hands in their mouth. So, So they're not only more likely to get sick if they're exposed to an exposure, but they're also more likely to experience higher exposures.
2: Given your feedback and interest, having you work with us today is pertinent for our discussion. Can you tell us about Children's Environmental Health Day and your work?
0: Sure. So Children's Environmental Health Day or CEH Day is held on the second Thursday of October. So this year is going to be October 8th. And it was started by an organization called the Children's Environmental Health Network. And this is its fifth year. And it's a day for scientists and clinicians and advocates and community members to come together to talk about successes in environmental health to educate one another about strategies for improving children's environments, and to lay out plans for the future and how we can do better at working together to promote safer environments for children. So a number of states now recognize Children's Environmental Health Day, including New York State, as well as New York City So this year, Mount Sinai and the New York State Children's Environmental Health Centers are coming together on CEH Day to have a virtual event to celebrate all of our accomplishments. And we're going to have a climate change panel and uh, talk about uh, moving the future of children's environmental health forward. We also are really excited to be participating in a national Twitter chat with the Children's Environmental Health Network, and uh, we'll be having an Instagram Live hosted on our Mount Sinai Children's Environmental Health Center Instagram to talk about environmental justice and race.
1: So, Dr. Evans, you mentioned briefly something about teenagers, and you mentioned a climate change panel on CEH Day. What do you think is the most significant topic towards teens today?
0: So I think teens and tweens have historically felt that they're somewhat invincible. And I did mention that Young children are often some of the most vulnerable populations to environmental exposures. But you know, unfortunately, teens are not immune to harm from environmental exposures either. So your bodies are still rapidly developing. Your reproductive systems and your brains continue to develop into your 20s. And many of the things that you're exposed to can impact your health. So one of the things that we think about a lot are, for example, the personal care products and cosmetics that you use. So teen girls tend to use more cosmetics than adult women do. And many of those cosmetics contain Uh, chemicals that can be harmful to your health, that can interfere with your hormonal system. Boys are not off the hook. So um, many of the body sprays and colognes that teen boys use have been shown to also contain a high number of what we call endocrine disrupting chemicals or chemicals that interfere with hormones in your body. So that's a concern. We also have concerns about things like vaping. Um, So we're seeing a big increase in the percentage of teens that are vaping and And the chemicals that are present in those products um, are largely understudied, are directly inhaled into the lungs, and we're starting to see the impacts of, of that kind of activity. And I think that um, an area where we've seen a lot of interest and activity among teens and youth is related to climate change. People often think of climate change as global warming, so we have increased temperatures and it's hotter, so we think of heat illnesses, heat stroke, dehydration, and things like that. But we're also seeing worsening air quality, which impacts asthma. Um, We're seeing more pollen and unpredictable allergy seasons. We have longer and less predictable seasons during which insects are active. So we can see an uptick in mosquito-borne diseases and tick-borne diseases like Lyme disease. We also have altered growing seasons. So this is leading to poorer crops, actually lower nutritional content in some foods and malnutrition. And I think something that's really important to talk about are the mental health issues. So we have more extreme storms, Terrible weather that's leading to flooding, lost days of school, lost days of work, economic impacts to individuals, and notably displacement of communities from their homelands. All of those things are really severe threats to public health. So it's been really... It's been really excellent to see the social media to get their messages out in ways that I think a lot of scientists and and other climate activists were not um, able to do in the past. So so really using your voices and harnessing the tools that are available to you to educate your peers and to take a stand on climate change has been um, really inspiring for those of us on the environmental health sciences side to witness.
1: So Dr. Evans, you covered a few topics that are prevalent to teens today. You went over some vaping stuff and you went over personal care products and how those chemicals affect us. And you also mentioned climate change. And on a personal note, I just want to ask you, what do you say to climate change deniers? For me personally, before I share my opinion, I would like to hear what you think. But like, how can you believe that climate change is not real? Like you might as well believe that the earth is flat. If you're not paying attention to the science, then what are you paying attention to? how come climate change has become a political agenda instead of actually understanding the data and understanding the facts? So what do you say to climate change deniers?
0: Yeah, so I think that that, um, there's a lot to unpack there. I think there's a difference between misinformation and disinformation, and there's a lot of disinformation out there now related to climate change. So disinformation is when there's sort of an intent to deceive so there's a lot of disinformation that's intentionally circulated to try to discredit what we know about climate science. And that's making it really challenging for uh, you know the real science to be heard and to get people to take action. One of the very unique challenges about climate change is that it has, I think, felt distant for a long time. People didn't necessarily see the ice caps melting. We weren't really impacted by polar bears. And even though it's been happening very rapidly, we're seeing the impacts of of climate change very rapidly over the past 10 to 20 years, it still didn't feel like it impacted us. We really are starting to see the impacts in our own backyard. And I think it's important to show people that you know, that we're seeing mosquito seasons that are far longer than we had seen before. We have summer flowers still blooming in October here. You know, we have less snow during the winter and we have more extreme storms. So I think um, I think it's starting to hit home where people are registering that, that this is real. Uh, I think where the disinformation comes in is related to what our human impact is on climate change. And because, you know, there are industries who have a vested interest in not being regulated, that's where I think we have a lot of the politicization. So unfortunately, a lot of the information that we see related to climate change and climate science disinformation comes from what looks like reputable sources. So unfortunately, it's often coming from elected officials, uh, coming from what looks like a scientific organization or a respected media outlet. And we really need to teach ourselves to look to true academic scientists who are publishing in peer-reviewed journals. And... You know, We've seen this issue for climate change for many years now, and we're seeing it uh, now also for COVID-19. So scientists in these fields need to find new ways to get their message across, I think. They need to start using social media and accessing the media in the same ways that many of the um, climate science deniers are because we have rapid spread of information right now through social media, and often it's false information. And I would also say that one of the things that we're engaged in at Mount Sinai is working to educate healthcare providers as people who are trusted to deliver um, health-based messaging to their patients. So we've been working to create more educational materials related to climate change and health for um, clinicians. And this year we'll be hosting our third annual clinical climate change conference which uh, you know seeks to engage healthcare providers in the conversation about climate change, not only in how they can communicate with their patients, but also in connecting them to resources so that they too can advocate for stronger policies that are protective against the health effects of climate change. You
1: no, know, Matt and I have definitely discussed on several occasions like how a monopoly or an industry can easily influence the masses and kind of put forward an agenda that is false. And I think that we can probably talk about how politics, no matter what, whatever you affiliate with, deliver wrong information about the environment. They're, they're bad representations of what the environment actually is and how it's actually changing. Obviously, the climate changes naturally, but there's no way that human activity has zero impact on its trajectory. As a college student, it makes me feel incredibly frustrated that there is so much burden on my generation's shoulders to try to pick up the pieces and pick up the mess that the current policy holders and current legislative holders are making today regarding where we live. I mean it baffles me that people in power try to make decisions just to get reelected, but not to do what is in the best interest for the following generations. And I know that for me, like something that keeps me going and gives me hope is seeing people like Greta Thunberg making these bold accusations and calling out policyholders, being that adamant to make change and being that strong minded and just ballsy. Like I have so much respect for her for stepping forward and saying, no, there is a problem. Um, Greta's doing big things still. I think with all the recent, like, uh, the forest fires and the flooding that's been happening recently, she's still been very vocal about it. But unfortunately, it's kind of like that, oh, your five seconds of fame. When people are first shocked by something, they give it a lot of media attention. But then once it's been out there for a little bit, I think oftentimes it dies out. But regardless of that, she's still a strong force that, represents how our generation feels today and I think that going back to being in college and stuff it there's a lot of pressure for me as an individual who knows about the impact the climate has on our environment and to know that human activity is causing temperatures to rise and is causing mosquito season to last longer and causing famine deforestation etc cetera, etc cetera. like I feel obligated to make a change but sometimes it becomes very overwhelming how am I one person gonna do something to make a change? But then I realize that having a voice, having a platform like this, following in Greta's footsteps, that we do have the ability to do it together.
0: Yeah, and I, I just wanna play off of some of what you just said and maybe try to be a little bit optimistic (laughs) because you seem to be feeling a little bit uh, pessimistic about the direction that things are going. So, you know, I will say that even though the U.S. is ranked number two in the world for carbon emissions, we withdrew from the Paris Agreement, and we've also seen a lot of rollbacks in regulations that were meant to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in this country. So that's something that we have seen over the last few years, and, you know, the impacts could be very detrimental. But what I will say is that when we withdrew from the Paris Agreement, a number of states and governors came forward and said, if the U.S. isn't going to do this at the federal level, we're going to work at the state level. And New York has been one of them. And then in 2019, they did pass legislation to to limit carbon emissions within the state of New York. Um, and a number a number of states are doing similar things. So, so it's worth the effort. It's worth the energy. It's definitely worth voting, even if that's, you know, at the municipal level, at the local level, at the state level, you know, we, we need to not, not forget that and that there are other avenues besides federal regulations that we can take. And You know, there are individual actions. Individual action is not going to do it. But if we can start with ourselves and with voting and encouraging others to do the same, then I think that's where we can have some impact. So it's not all doom and gloom.
2: I think it is definitely difficult. And it's a challenge that is not so easy to overcome when you're the only one who has an opinion that goes against what the majority of people think. But I also think that there are other organizations and there are other passionate youth advocates. I know here at HBCAC, we like to call them the guardians of the future. And these are the people that really believe that they can make change. And honestly, I I see that every day. Savannah, Ashley um, have both proven that they really want to make some kind of change. Uh, It doesn't have to be some kind of immediate change that shifts all of our current policies but just doing their part to make the world a better place for children, teens, and older adults.
1: Totally. I mean, and going back to like being pessimistic, it's just, there seems like a lot of obstacles to try to get simple, basic, (laughs) um, valid rights that we need in terms of being in a healthy environment. Because if the environment's not healthy, then we're not healthy. And if we're not healthy, then, you know, (laughs) <laughs> but I think it also st- like stems from there being lots of issues to tackle, whether it's clean water, climate change, air pollution. I feel like we all need to be like on a unified front to make one small change that leads to a bigger one and then leads to a bigger one. And I think that can only happen if we vote. And I think you made a great point there that it's definitely important for our voices to be heard.
2: Like you said, there are new things always emerging that affect our health. Um, I know previously we discussed vaping briefly, um, which is a relatively new epidemic. Do you think these constantly emerging difficulties that we face in environmental health, do you think that there needs to be more information? Do you think that um, children are just ignorant and just go towards vaping because they think it's cool? Or is it really because No one has told them otherwise. No one has really said, you know, this can impact the 50 uh, future years of your life. Uh,
0: Unfortunately, since I have been a teenager before (laughs) in the past, I'm quite certain that teenagers can receive the information that something is not good for their health, and they're probably going to do it anyway. I think it's important.
1: For schools and companies to, well, more schools to understand why teenagers choose these vices to kind of let out their stresses and relax or whatever it may be. But like, why the student chooses to do that? There's other things that
0: you can do that are just as quote unquote cool my feeling is that we need much stronger regulation to keep the stuff out of the hands of teens. The industry needs to regulate them better. You know, if, if they're going to be available, then there need to be stronger age limits and they need to test the chemicals that are there to make sure that they're safe, which they certainly are not. So I, I would put the burden on industry and the regulatory bodies. I think if if you're going to influence teens and tweens to stay away from something, that needs to be sort of a, a peer-based effort, not a sort of don't do drugs campaign, but rather um, that influencers, if you will, should be the ones messaging about what's not cool, what is not a social norm, so unfortunately, I think that health-based messaging um, is not as effective with, with that age group. I also think that the earlier you can educate youth, the better. And so sometimes I think vaping has caught us off guard a little bit where it sort of exploded in populations that maybe didn't get the education early enough. And as we start to be able to educate the younger kids, um, it will sort of become ingrained in them to stay away from it before they get to that experimental age. I know that you all do a lot of work with middle school Uh, kids and we have been developing some new tools that target even younger kids. So in honor of CEH Day this year, we have coloring and activity storybook about climate change that we're going to be releasing for CEH Day. So I think the idea of exposing kids to these concepts you know, from a very early age and the importance of the environment and how the environment impacts their health at a very basic level can then help with things that come up later, like the decision to vape or not vape.
1: To kind of tie this into how teens can actually control their actions, with vaping, like you said, like it's very difficult to determine if a student's going to do it or not, depending on their environment and depending on the resources and tools that they're exposed to at a young age. But um, Matt and I talk a lot about personal care products to the youth. And we like to teach them how they can change certain things in their lives. And I think that we can probably do an entire podcast on endocrine disruption. What is endocrine disruption? Where can they be found? What, What are the chemicals names called? Why are they in the products? that is all up for discussion but i think like the main point here is that we are in control of our actions we are able to decide as consumers what we want to put into our bodies to a certain extent obviously we we can't really factor in and other external environmental factors like the benzene from the gasoline that was pumped a mile away we can't really factor the car exhaust but we can the things that we can control we should control so whether that means saying no to vaping which we should all be doing and in conjunction to that choosing safer alternatives for your personal care products. So simple, all products do the same thing. And recently I've been getting so many ads on my Instagram feed about just like more sustainable, like razors, sustainable shaving cream, sustainable. They have this new thing. They're called shampoo bars and, and conditioner bars. It's made out of like olive oil and like natural based ingredients and it comes in a bar that's wrapped in parchment paper. So there's no plastic packaging. There's tons and tons of reviews on it. I'm, I'm kind of sold. I'm going to order mine soon. And they, they come in really cute colors. They're compact. They're tiny. And the best part is you're washing your hair. Your hair is getting clean. And the chemicals that go down the drain are not contaminating any water source. They're not contaminating the ground, which is great. So, I mean, that's kind of a tangent. But isn't that really cool? Like, I've also seen sustainable like socks that they come from a different type of plant. I've seen sustainable paper towels that come from bamboo. Obviously, first it's biodegradable, and second off, bamboo goes like crazy. It's invasive species here in the U.S., so it's not a bad thing that we're chopping them down. And also, we're not cutting down trees. Brings me this brings me to an uh, a fact. So, worldwide, the equivalent of almost two hundred and seventy thousand trees. Are either flushed or dumped in landfills every day. And this is according to the National Geographic. So we're very accredited here on the Wise Guides. <laughs> There's so many alternatives out there. We just have to choose to make the right decision. Not the easier decision necessarily, but the right decision.
0: So, no, Savannah, you make a really good point. And I think it speaks to the power of where you put your dollar. So, you know. Companies are not going to continue to make things that you won't buy. And they're going to make more shampoo bars if you and your peers um, continue to support those companies. And so we've seen that with in many areas where regulations or policies don't necessarily, um, you know, get get rid of a harmful chemical, but consumers deciding that they don't want to purchase certain products anymore eventually drive the marketplace towards safer products. And um, you know, you talked about the plastic packaging to bring it back to this question about climate change. You know, one of the things that we can do on the individual level is to consume less plastic, re, you know, use reusable water bottles, don't take a plastic bag. And And we've seen more and more plastic bag bans as people are starting to bring reusable bags and and not desire to have all those plastic bags anymore. So this is something, you know, not only supporting companies that are doing the right thing in terms of toxic chemicals, but supporting companies that are doing the right thing in terms of their own carbon footprint and the plastic production that goes into their products.
2: I wanted to ask, how do you think we can come out of COVID-19 living healthier lives with fewer harmful effects on the environment?
0: I think one of the consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic has been the reduction in air pollution as people were quarantined and driving much less. There's been less air travel as well. And we're just starting to see some of the scientific analysis to show that there were reduced air pollution-related health effects during those times. You know, I think that there's a lesson there that we don't just rebound back to the same level of emissions that we had before. I think we're learning to live a little bit differently in terms of not traveling unnecessarily and not, um, you know, commuting by car. A lot of companies have changed over to work from home. So I I think we'll see how long lasting some of those effects are, but I do see, you know, change in the future. And and maybe this is an opportunity to get something positive out of what has not been such a great situation. That
1: kind of segues into a broader conversation about inequity and injustice. I think when we're talking about climate, there's certainly people that are more affected by air pollution than I am, for example, or less than I am. And to further that point with COVID that's happening, there's far more people getting sick in more impoverished communities than in the community that I live in. So Dr. Evans, what are your thoughts on that?
0: You're right about that, Savannah. Communities are not equally impacted by environmental exposures. This includes the impacts of climate change, um, COVID-19, other harmful environmental exposures. Historically, black and brown communities are more concentrated near pollution sources like power plants, freeways, contaminated sites, and they're less likely to have access to clean drinking water and healthy food. We see that people of color and low-income communities are exposed to higher levels of environmental pollutants, and they tend to suffer worse health effects from them. This is unfolding in real time during the COVID-19 pandemic, where we've seen African-American and Hispanic communities suffer from uh, more severe cases of COVID-19 and increased rates of death. We don't know entirely why that is. There are a number of reasons that probably account for this. Some could be higher comorbidities, a higher rate of illnesses um, that are associated with worse COVID-19 outcomes, but it also could be due to exposure to more environmental pollutants like air pollutants. So we really need to focus research into understanding why these communities are more impacted by environmental exposures, Uncovering the reasons for the disparities, but also creating protective protective policies that are equitable to all communities. We have a long legacy of structural racism in this country. This is by far the number one cause of the disparities that we see in health outcomes. And it's one that we're only really fairly recently starting to recognize broadly, and it must be addressed at the policy level. You know, we're seeing some momentum, but we have to keep moving that forward. And, you know, I think, again, to come back to voting, one of the ways to do this is to vote for people who are are going to continue this work.
2: Last final question for Dr. Evans. What can we do as a generation to have better impacts on the environment and on future generations?
0: I think that you can work towards normalizing a culture that is less wasteful, that's really conscientious about all of the decisions that you make and all of the purchases that you make. And you should be thinking, what is my impact on the world and the environment and my health by making this purchase? You know, whether it's cosmetics or whether it's a plastic gadget that you don't need, right? Another electronic that had to be assembled in a factory and transported um, from a distant country, right? Do you really need that? Or is there, is there a better alternative? And I think always seeking out that better alternative. And when you start to do that, it becomes a really normal way of life. It didn't used to be a normal thing to recycle, right? Like previous generations, I think really had to, had to work, recycling into their normal daily life. It wasn't the usual routine. When you start composting or eating a plant-based diet or riding your bike instead of driving, those all just become a way of life. And I think that at a young age, those are easier things to start to integrate. And then when you model that behavior and you show that this is just a normal way to be, others are going to follow suit. But then I think beyond that, we really need to support things like alternative energy, right? And we need to make sure that the companies that we support are, are doing that, and that the people that we elect are doing that. And even if you can't vote yet, you can participate in campaigning for officials who are promoting policy that will, you know, reduce the impacts of climate change. You know, it's It's not feeling like you have to do one big, incredible thing or be the next Greta Thunberg. It's just incorporating these practices into your life on a daily basis and showing others how to do the same thing.
2: You don't need to drastically change your life. Just because we're saying all these things are detrimental to your health, so is waking up in the morning and simply going in the shower and using uh, the traditional shampoo or body wash that you use. You just have to make subtle changes in your everyday life that result in better health. Um, And that means any small change from changing the brand of toothpaste you use or changing the hair gel you use to a more organic and natural product. Thank you to all of our listeners for listening to a new episode from the wise guides. And thank you to Dr. Evans for joining us on this
0: week's episode. Thank you for having me and keep up the great work guys.
1: And for all our wise guides listening out there, remember, go outside, take a deep breath and remember that you are a catalyst for change. Have a good one.